Welcome to Love Works with Chris and Karen Conley. This is Karen, and I am sitting next to my husband and the lead pastor of High Point Church, also the creator of Love Works, a 501c3 organization that we are so excited about. Today, this topic I think will be very interesting for our listeners, no matter what their line of work is or their employment, it will have application there. We want to share some of the best practices practices of High Point Church. We are excited to give you a behind the scenes look at what we have learned and implemented to create a culture among our leadership team, our staff that enables us to fulfill our vision and achieve our goals. I think this is transferable to anybody in their personal life and it's also transferable in people's careers. I'm hoping that if you are a leader of an organization, that you can immediately take some of this and apply it to your organization, and in the same way that you can apply it to your personal life. Well, as we get a little bit further, in this particular podcast, we're going to look at four staff values, and these are values that you hold to with your team as we go through them. Maybe you're a mom and you think, well, what does that have really to do with me? You're going to see that it has everything to do with you, that every single one of us would want to embrace these values in whatever unit we're a part of. If it's a family unit, or a work unit or a classroom setting. There are a lot of things that they will be able to take away for them. But why would this be important for them to understand, both from our own personal church perspective, maybe they're a high pointer listening, but also in their own life? Values are the thing that drive your life. A lot of people actually call them value drivers. When you have certain values, those values will determine the health of your culture, and they'll determine the consistency of your culture, which is vitally important. The reason why we want to talk about these staff values is because once you build that culture, that culture is intentional or unintentional. You're going to have a culture. You're never going to be in an organization without a culture. And so we want to shape that culture in an intentional way by our values. But we don't want our values just to hang on the wall down the hall. We want our values to live in people so that, just like you said earlier, whether it's your personal value, whether it's a value that applies to the way that you lead your family and build a culture for your family, or whether it's a value in leadership at church or a value in leadership in the workplace, these values are essential in order for you to create a healthy culture, in order for us to have consistency in that culture, then the values, in many ways, they eliminate variation. So in that way, they really, really help us be able to define what our target is and go, okay, if we do these values on a day-to-day basis, we'll fulfill our vision and we'll accomplish our goals. So in a church setting, obviously, we have a mission that we are called to as believers. And as High Point Church, we have a mission to make disciples. So in that context, I can ask this question, but let me also apply it to our family. We have a purpose. We have a mission. We have things that we are wanting to accomplish as a family. And so in either one of those settings, whether it be in a church family or in our own personal family or even in a corporate secular environment, what is needed for a team to be united to accomplish its goals? 
There's many things, but I think the primary thing, the thing that drives us more than anything, and this is going to sound a little weird at first, okay? You wouldn't necessarily think this is the most natural answer, and it's really kind of two sides of one coin. In some ways, you need a common enemy. What do you mean by that? Well, if you look throughout history, whatever that enemy is, sometimes the enemy is just simply a problem, Okay, if you defined the problem that people care about, then people will also care about helping you solve the problem. But if you don't have this enemy, there's nothing that rallies you to motivate you, to inspire you, to unite together, to accomplish something. If everything's just always good, we tend to get lazy. If everything's kind of always good, then we don't focus ourselves for the goal. We don't focus ourselves. So every vision ultimately begins with a problem that must be solved. The origin of a vision is a problem. And so you have to define the problem. So throughout history, sometimes you have to have a common enemy. Let me put this into some historical elements. When Dr. Martin Luther King started and began to lead the civil rights movement, because the civil rights issue had become so public, there had been for a long season of time injustices. But those injustices kind of lived on a local level, but with media and TV and in all of the national attention, people got to a point in a place where they could not say that I am a moral citizen. I'm a moral person. I am a honorable citizen of this country and allow this to happen. So the enemy had to be the injustice of racism and people united together and they were able to accomplish things that they've never been able to accomplish before in black people and white people in all different races of people, all different ethnic groups came together, all different types of religious groups came together and they united to overcome the enemy of racism. I see that in the big picture in a historical perspective, but maybe give us an illustration. What would the enemy be for a church? Complacency is one. Honestly, to simply allow yourself to be content with casual Christianity, to define success by the absence of bad instead of by the presence of good. Success in the church is fulfilling the mission of going and making disciples. But very few individual Christians define their personal success by disciple making. They define their success by, have I eliminated the major problems in my life? And they've not defined their success by how well they love. The New Commandment says that this is how we should be known, that we love one another, even as I've loved you, that we love one another. So we need to define our success by increasing our love, not just minimizing our sin. So in a church context, it may be that the enemy is complacency, that your team is rallied around moving people from being content with just showing up to being vibrant Christ followers. Yeah, you know, one of the ways that we say that at High Point is to move people from being consumers, and we say this in the Love Works organization as well, to move people from being consumers to contributors. But also in the church, the enemy is that there's a real enemy out there. There is the devil. There is Satan. He's the father of lies. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we don't like to really think about that because are we really serious that we really believe there's this devil out there? You know what? Where else does all the evil come from? 
Absolutely. If we believe what Jesus says in every other area of the Bible, we need to believe John 10.10. The enemy, the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but... Jesus has come to give life and life more abundant. Okay, so make one more application before we start moving towards those actual staff values in a family. What is the enemy that a family unit rallies around? There are times so many things that try to divide the unity of a family. And that's why values are so important to a family is that you've got to say, no, our family is made by God with one purpose and one purpose alone to glorify God and to bring good to others. So our value system has to be built around, we are children of God. And as children of God, we have a certain responsibility to respond to his love with love, to love one another, and then to see our family as being on mission and serving him versus, you know what? Honestly, this is not very popular. One of the enemies can simply be the American dream. Just make as much money as you can, buy as many luxuries as you can, and please yourself and make yourself as happy as possible. Well, and even last night we were having a conversation. Our teenage son had been out of town for a while, and we hadn't seen him, and he's busy with this, that, and the other. And I made the comment, you know, we really miss you and glad to have you home. And he said, maybe I will prioritize being home twice a week for dinner, and which we all laughed because twice a week for dinner is not nearly what my expectation was was. And so, again, it is an example of the enemy of busyness, the enemy of us all just going our own way, doing our own thing, as opposed to being united around we are Conleys and we're going to stick together and we are going to be a band of brothers, I think is a term that I've heard you use before. That applies even in our own families. What is it that we need to identify as the things that threaten the very core of who we want to be? Well, and sometimes in that the enemy is good. You know, it's, it's that whole dynamic in the book, Good to Great, that good is the enemy of great. And sometimes it's very good things that will prioritize our time and take our time away from the people whom we love the most, the people whom we want to spend time with the most. And there are some very good things that could also cause us to be off mission and not be serving the mission of God, but really be serving ourselves. So what happens, whether it be in a church setting or a family setting or a corporate setting, If we've identified this enemy and then we have a cause greater than ourselves. In that particular situation, one expression, one way that we've referred to this is there's an enemy. There's a problem. Now, when there's a problem, there has to be a solution. And that solution becomes the cause that is bigger than yourself. The solution becomes the thing that, like in the book of Nehemiah, the walls had been down, and they had been down for like a 100 years, but they had become so accustomed to the walls being down that they no longer even cared until Nehemiah came in, and he said, here's the reason why it's important that we rebuild the walls, that when the walls are down, this is the city of God, and that makes us look like a reproach as the city of God. It makes us look like that our God is not who he says he is. So he attached a new meaning to an old problem. And when he defined an old problem in a new way, he rallied them for a cause that was greater than himself. And when he rallied them for that cause, they rebuilt the wall in 52 days. Sometimes you've got to have this cause that you go, let's go back to Martin Luther King. Racism was a cause that was greater than ourselves. Everybody had to come together and everybody still needs to come together to overcome racism. Today, right now, 
ISIS needs to be a cause that is greater than ourselves and that we must fight against terrorism. We must fight against such unbelievable injustices and protect ourselves. One of the ways to do that is to evangelize people. And one of the ways to do that is try to love people to Christ. But at the same time, we must guard and protect against these injustices and against these infringements upon our freedoms. So we're talking about this in the context specifically of our staff values at High Point Church. Obviously, we are a church, a part of the larger church, whether you want to speak specifically to High Point or really to the broader context of Christianity, what's the purpose of God for our generation? There's a lot of ways we could answer that question in a present day context, and we will throughout this process. But perhaps the best answer to that question comes from Acts chapter 13, verse 36. It says this, for David after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. So when we look back at King David, what that verse shows us is there was a specific purpose attached to God's greater purpose that was his purpose for his generation for him to fulfill. So the exact same way the Great Commission is our greater purpose. But then what we do is we look at our spiritual gifts. We look at our strengths. We look at the context of where we live in our city, in our country. And we have to say, how do we fulfill the great commission today? How do I play my part on this team of fulfilling this purpose for the generation that I live in. So really, that is the mission, the purpose, the motivation behind everything that we do at High Point Church. We are called to be his bride, and we are called to fulfill the Great Commission and to raise up a generation. Why is it important that we are intentional in the values that we have and how we carry out the behind the scenes work and effort at High Point Church? Because we will not truly grow as individuals and as a team and as a church without a cause greater than ourselves. We won't really force ourselves to grow unless there's a problem that demands to be solved. So what's invaluable in this process, as we think about it, we need to feel the pressure of the problem. And if we don't feel the pressure of the problem, we relax. What often happens is if you've heard about the Great Commission, sometimes you get bored with the mission. Sometimes the mission looks so big that it feels impossible. And, and it's the equivalent of sometimes you're flipping through the channels and you see an info commercial on a third world country where children are starving. And it should just absolutely devastate us. It should break our heart. But sometimes we've seen that commercial so many times that we become numb to it. And so that's why we've got to redefine the problem in a new way that motivates us, that inspires us, that is interwoven with our values so that we're going to live these values on a day-to-day -day basis. And when we sow these values 
we're going to reap the mission of God. One of the things that I know you are incredibly passionate about is making sure that our team, and we've got such an incredible team at High Point that are such a hardworking crew, that we love laboring with them for God's purpose and for this mission, but that you always want to keep in front of them the urgency that exists, that we can't become casual with what God has called us to. And so as only we could in Memphis, with a Memphis flavor to it, within the 501c3, even as we think about the city of Memphis in the broader context, your staff values you call grit and grind, which any Grizzly fan will absolutely love. Tell us the heart behind why you call it that. Because when I watch the Grizzlies, they are a very unique team. They're not built like a modern NBA team that has all of these incredibly athletic people that run the court with incredible speed that are amazing at jumping and slam dunking and hitting three-pointers. We're a little bit more blue-collar with the Memphis Grizzlies, yet they have found a way. They've got this identity. You know what we do? We win, but we win by we're just going to grit and grind. We're going to work a little bit harder, and we're going to work together, and we're going to identify what our strengths are, and we're going to play according to our strengths and not your strengths. We're going to define our style of play, and we're going to win our way. When I look at High Point Church, I believe God started this church a little over 12 years ago to be a different kind of church to accomplish a different type of mission. I think that in order to reach people that no one else is reaching, we got to do things that no one else is doing. In order to accomplish goals that have never been accomplished before, we got to do some things in ways that have never been done before. The reason why our staff values are built around this word grit, and we've created an acronym, is because I think it accurately represents our personality. There is a certain grit that exists on this team, on this church, and we're just going to embrace it. We're going to lean into it. We're going to become the best, grittiest team we can be to accomplish the mission of God in the city of Memphis. All right. So you mentioned that there's an acronym. The G in GRIT is your first staff value of grateful. Why is gratefulness your first staff value? The thing that you always have to remember is that when you think about reaching people and you're reaching people who are far from God, who don't know God, who are experiencing different types of problems and pain in their life as a result of not knowing God and sin, we got to remember, we're not going to be sold out on the mission until we remember. Unless someone else was sold out on the mission, I would have never been found. We've got to remember first and foremost our story. We got to be grateful that God the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to pay for our sin, and that we are forgiven and we are freed. And now it is our incredible privilege to be a servant of God. A servant isn't a duty. It's not an obligation. It's not something I ought to do. It's a privilege. We want to embrace the Chick-fil-A slogan of it is my privilege. I am grateful to serve. I'm grateful that I have a purpose. How many people in life don't even have a purpose? I'm grateful I have a mission. I'm grateful God has invited me to be an ambassador of Christ. I'm grateful that God has given me the ministry of reconciliation. I'm grateful that God has included me and given me the joy and the privilege of being used by him to see people come to life and life more abundant. 
we have to keep that focus because there is an element of work in a church that is still work. But if you can remember the reason that you're there and every single person, no matter what your occupation is or what you do, if you can tap into that humility that generates the gratefulness that apart from God, I can do nothing. The only reason that I am not needing to be reached is because somebody showed me the way that gratitude will take us so far in being able to stay focused on our mission. And one of the things you'll hear me teach all the time is that neutral does not exist. So if you are not grateful, what are you? Ungrateful. Honestly, I've never seen neutral exist. And time and time and time again, the scriptures tell us to be thankful and to express thanksgiving. So we don't want to look at this as work, although there is a work element. Actually, we believe work was given from God as a gift before the fall of man. There is now a toil to our labor because of sin, but yet work is a beautiful thing. And we want to embrace the work of God and be grateful that we're included in it. G is for grateful, and as we move through our acronym, R stands for responsible. Yes, we are responsible with the mission. This is not someone else's mission. This is our privilege to individually play our role according to our strengths and according to our gifts to be a good steward of my position on the team. There's not a member of the team who's non-important. Every member of the team is invaluable. And so when we go to the illustration of the body, when the scripture speaks to spiritual gifts and compares it to the body, he says, one of us is a hand, one of us is a foot, you know, one of us is an eye, one of us is an ear. Every member of the body is important. And we cannot function as a team without the body working together and being responsible for his or her individual role in the body. All right. So it's absolutely essential. We are only as strong as our weakest link. Everybody needs to come together and they need to say, this is my job, but it's my privilege. We never, ever say at high point, that's not my job. Oh, that is bad news. You never say it's not my job. Everything is your job. That is, again, so applicable in marriage, in family. Gosh, be grateful for the family you have. Be grateful for the privilege that you have of being a son, a daughter, a wife, a husband, and then be responsible of, I need to take the role that God has given me and be a good steward of the relationship and of the opportunity. And then that leaves us to I. This one will be a little bit harder to apply to the family, but I know that we can. But this absolutely shows up at high point in so many different ways, and that is innovative. We want our staff to be innovative. When we think about innovative, the truths of God are timeless, okay? But the methods of God are timely. So we need to find ways to take the old truths and to apply them in new ways. Is anybody in their house right now still watching black and white TV? Anybody really still watching TV that is non-high definition? Not if they can help it. Exactly. Once you have watched high-definition TV, you immediately know when a channel's not high-def. 
And what we're trying to do is we're trying to be innovative, where we take the truths of God and we make them high def. We take them from black and white to color TV. The truths of God should never be boring. The mission of God should never be boring. The church of God should never be boring. This is the creator of creativity. How in the world can we make him boring? It is a sin to make him boring. The Bible is an R-rated book. It is not a G-rated book. And so it, it talks about all of life. And we've got to be innovative to tell the stories of God better than ever before so that they're compelling, so that they're clear, so that they change people's lives. Last one as we wrap up this podcast is the T. This is where an organization often models its leader. So I love this one because I see this in your personality and in your love for the Lord, tenacious. So how does that express itself on our team? I remember when we were coming up with these values, there was a team of us that we were on a trip and we were driving and we were talking about what the T ought to be. And tough was definitely one of those that came to mind. But Andy Savage said, tenacious. Nothing represents our leader more than tenacious. And you know what? We have an enemy that's tenacious. And if we allow the enemy to be more tenacious than us as God's leaders, then we're going to lose. Our God is tenacious. Our God, he never, ever, ever quits on us. And he fights every battle. And he overcomes every adversity. And his son did that. His son was in the garden. And in a tenacious way, he said, not my will, but thine be done. In a tenacious way, it was tenacious for him actually to be silent before his accusers at different points in times. Sometimes it's actually tenacious to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Then it is very tenacious to say, tell a last die. It is finished. <laughs> so to be tenacious is required. It is required. It is a non-negotiable. We are fighting with real lives here. This is life and death. It is eternity. It is heaven and hell. And if you can't be tenacious about that, then don't be on my team. Okay. <laughs> we have got to have a purpose greater than ourselves and we got to have a common enemy and that requires us to be tenacious. I hope that if you are a high pointer listening to this, that you will know that that is the heart of your leader. That is the heart of your team, that we are grateful for the opportunity to serve the Lord, that we want to be responsible with the privilege of carrying out the Great Commission. And we want to do it in a way that is innovative and we want to do it in a relentless, tenacious way so that we we can see God do what only God can do through High Point and through every church in the Memphis area and beyond. Thank you for pulling back the curtain a little bit, showing us about the grit of staff values. If you want more information about High Point, you can go to highpointmemphis.com. You can follow Chris or myself on our individual blogs at chrisconley.net and karenconley.com. But above all things, we want you to remember that love God plus love people equals love works.